Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham. Welcome to the show. I am Chris Graham. It's Monday. We talk NASCAR on Mondays with Rod Mullins. And uh, so the All-Star Race was last night, Rod. Um, I'd say not a lot of action. Pretty dominant race for Kyle Larson. He had a big lead at the 100-lap break. And then, of course, when they reset, everybody got close again. And then he built another big lead and kind of coasted. No wrecks, not a lot to talk about as far as that goes. A pretty clean race, pretty rare uh, to see that clean of a race uh, on Sunday. Yeah, boring by a lot of people's standards. (laughs) I was trying to be nice. (laughs) Yeah, we were trying to be nice about that. But, yeah, Larson won by 4.5 seconds. Uh, You know, you got to say he dominated uh, 70%, led 70% of the race, uh, came from the back of the pack to go and win $1 million in the all-star race. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great win for him. It's his third actually of an all-star race, uh, is actually what he's won. He becomes the only three-time winner of an all-star race a NASCAR all-star race. But I think the big thing that a lot of people were talking about more than anything else was the resurgence or the rebirth of North Wilkesboro. And I think that's what really has surprised me that there has been, uh, almost zero negative press in regard to the way that NASCAR handled this, the way that Speedway Motorsports put this thing together. Um, I, you know, I think the only thing that probably some people were very disappointed about was, um, probably not enough seating. You know, there'd probably been a lot more that could have probably been there at that, uh, that all-star race, but they, uh, you know, they had limited stands, uh, for a lot of these, uh, for a lot of the fans. And I think that kind of, you know, maybe cost them a little bit more of uh, a little bit more revenue, if you want to, if you want to say that, um, I think the hard thing about this track that a lot of people were, uh, some people were not exactly happy about, they didn't know what kind of situation it was going to be about tire wear. Um, that was one thing this track had not been touched this track. I mean, had been patched. Uh, the pavement was still in good shape considering that it had been abandoned for, you know, 20 plus or 25 plus years. And then Marcus Smith and Speedway Motorsports, when they made the decision and made the, um, the announcement, uh, they'd worked something out to go into North Wilkesboro. A lot of people were not sure what was going to happen with this race. And I, I think it just, uh, it amazed a bunch of people. As a matter of fact, in the quote, Marcus Smith was uh, quoted as saying, I've never been to a NASCAR week where everybody was in such a good mood. And I, th- and you have to agree with that. Everybody was just looking forward to this all-star race for one of the very few times. I think some people have been wanting to look forward to one of these races. And, uh, I think that's probably the big winner out of it. Not just Kyle Larson winning a million dollars and, and coming away as the victor for the uh, for a third time out of the all-star race. But I think North Wilkesboro probably earned its right to maybe be reconsidered as a possibility of another track that they could possibly bring back and race some NASCAR Cup Series racing on in the future. So here's a, here's a question, uh, kind of oddball question, but I'm sure some people were thinking this yesterday. It's a million-dollar winner-takes-all purse. Second place mm-hmm. gets nothing. Third All the way down gets nothing. 
Right. So how much of that does the winner get? I mean, do they have to, you know, is that something that just goes to the team and we're talking about it being, you know, for the driver or does the driver actually get a big chunk of that? I think that, you know, at least from what I've been told before, they get a, you know, a good size chunk of that and stuff, but you know, some of that's going to be distributed with bonuses and things through the team, depending on how things go. I know that, uh, there's probably little incentives. It's sort of like baseball, uh, in the same sense that, you know, if you go and you're signing somebody to a contract that particular year, you've got incentives. If they can make it through what a hundred games without an injury or something, they may get paid extra money. Uh, they get, uh, 50 hits or something, uh, in the course of, um, a hundred, uh, games or something, they get a bonus. I think this is one of those things of where they go and they give this sort of incentive, uh, not only to the driver where they get something, but the team gets something back as well. And so, uh, you know, the, the pit crew, they had to be on top of things, uh, last night in the, uh, in the race. So a lot of that goes back to the team, I think in general, uh, because it's a team effort, you know, they had the, uh, the pit road or the, uh, pit crew, uh, challenge, uh, this past week as a part of the, uh, of the, uh, deal, at uh, North Wilkesboro and a lot of people generated a lot of buzz out of that one. Ty Gibbs, uh, his team won for, I think it was like a, almost a 13 second pit stop in the pits with, you know, change of tires and so forth. So, you know, these little incentives pay off. And I guess, you know, with this one, especially with Larson winning, it came as a big payoff for some of the team, uh, for the most part, for most of the team, I should say, uh, than it did just going in the winner's pocket. That's where I was going with this. You know, the, the marketing of this event really plays up the winner takes all. Right. Just And we're going to talk more contract stuff later in the show. It's not specific to, to just this race. But then also, you know, I know there was a quote from Bubba Wild as well. Finishing second doesn't do you any good. You don't walk away with anything. It's not like he worked for free, his crew worked for free, his crew chief worked for free. They're getting paid. They're just not yeah. winning prize money. Right. That's it. That's the bottom line with it. They're not getting the prize money out of it. And that makes it a race that, uh, you know, makes the driver a little bit more hungry. If I can go and I can pull something off here, this is just added cash or an added bonus in my pocket is what it is. And so it's, it's, it's almost exactly like what you said, you know, with this thing of, winner takes all with it. That's exactly what it boils down to. It is a winner take all race. And that's the way it was set up when they, when they set this thing up the first time around for the all-star race, uh, you know, a lot of people said this is going to be mayhem on the, on the track. And in the years past, it has been mayhem, but, uh, last night, definitely not anything like that because Larson came out and just dominated in this race. And, you know, you've even got people talking now that, um, uh, you know, he may hit his stride. He may have been hitting the stride now, and this team could be unstoppable going into the stretch coming down uh, after the midway point, after the Coca-Cola 600, they could really dominate and he could be in line for his second championship, but still a lot of races left to race. So this is not a points race. Uh, it's just an exhibition officially, even though right. it was uh, obviously watched by millions last night. Um, one thing that, though, even though it wasn't a points race, uh, it, an issue came up. I know there were some folks addressing this after the race, drivers addressing this after the race. Mm -hmm. um, you, we talked about how it wasn't a very exciting race. There weren't, you know, a lot of lead changes. I think there was just one lead change. There were, so you see, you saw some guys, uh, you know, uh, swapping positions on the track behind the leaders. 
especially down the stretch. But but at the lead, there just really wasn't a lot going on there. And and this has become, it feels like a little bit of a pattern this year in NASCAR, mm-hmm. especially on short tracks, you know, North Wilkesboro, a uh, 0.625 mile track. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there was talk amongst the drivers about how things can be done to make short track racing more exciting this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, take us into that, Rod, and, and some of the discussion about that. Yeah, I think a lot of the drivers, some of them were very, how can I say this, praiseworthy, I guess, with North Wilkesboro because of the fact that this is the way it used to be. Eric Jones said it that way. He said, if you go back and you watch some of the old races, Jeff Bodine would lap the field like he did in 1994. That's how it used to be. It's a tricky place. It's slick. One guy, you know, hits it right, and they're going to crush everybody all, you know, the entire race. But some of these guys are still at the same time. They feel like that this car is one of the reasons why we're not having as exciting racing on some of these tracks as we are in maybe some of the super speedways, for example. You know, I've mentioned to you before about the uh, the track. You know, the last time this track was paved, I've mentioned it earlier. This was, you know, they patched and everything. 1981. Wow. And that's unreal at that, you know, at that rate right there, that's what 42 years yeah. since it had been last paved. So that's a testament to what, at least what kind of surface they were putting together then, but you know, it's kind of like the old tracks. That's the way it was supposed to be, be a little bit rough. I know they did a close up of it and you could see the gravel. You could see things in it, the way it was mixed up. And, uh, it's like, that's a challenge. Some of these guys didn't think that's much of a challenge to them. They was just wide open. Let's just go, you know, go around through here. And I kind of agree with that. Eric Jones, uh, thought about, you know, if you get your car dialed in the right way, you're going to dominate somebody and you're going to lap the field before it's over with. And you've got some of the drivers that are like, you know, I didn't think it was much fun. Friend of mine on Facebook last night, he said, you know, I loved it that it was going back to North Wilkesboro, but he said it was some of the most boring racing I've ever seen in my life. And then he turned around and said, Hey, I think NASCAR and technology, everything else, they need to take a look at this car of, you know, this next generation car and see what can be done to make this car a little bit more competitive a little bit more edgy and i agree with him i think that there's probably some things it's a learning curve this whole thing with this car it's a learning curve right now at this point and so this is the first time a car has raced at north wilkesboro or at least raced in a pack so now nascar takes this information they go back they look at it and they say okay how can we make this a little bit more enjoyable the next time around if we have one there so um you know it's there was a mixed bag of reaction from, from the drivers last night. A lot of them were so happy. They were back to the track. They were back there. They were racing. Um, some of them had never raced on this surface before. None of them had ever been prepared. They'd only watched video or maybe even played it on a video game, but for a lot of them to get out there, um, you know, it was, it was a nice race. So, you know, for them to be out there, it's just, it just happened to be what, the end result was going to be of total domination. So we talked about uh second place uh, finisher was Bubba Wallace. He was the first guy not to make any money officially uh, at the race uh, among the other racers who uh, were behind uh, the winner, Kyle Larson. Um, something that, that you saw uh, Rod uh, that you talked to me about before we hit record uh, regarding Bubba Wallace and something that uh, is being reported on by jayski.com 
about uh, about some a derogatory message uh, that was uh, heard on Bubba's radio channel right after the race ended. Uh, take, take us into that story. Yeah, I saw this headline earlier today, and I was a little bit you know shocked that it come out. And you've not really heard an official thing, so to speak, from uh, from NASCAR or anything like that because. They're really into the investigation part right now at this point. But Bubba Wallace's strong performance Sunday night ended up being marred by an unfortunate incident at the end of the race. And just as Wallace crossed the start-finish line, finished uh, runner-up to Kyle Larson in the race, someone keyed into the number 23-2311 racing team radio with a derogatory message and they pretty much said to him uh, and he didn't hear it though they said that wallace didn't hear it but somebody else in the team uh they did hear it they just didn't make a big deal about it but it's quote go back to where you came from you a-hole i'm just going to make it clean right there you're not wanted in nascar end quote the person said now you know Again, we're at a point of where we're talking about this same thing again, and the lightning rod is Bubba Wallace. And Bubba Wallace has gotten out of the car in a couple of different occasions. He has, you know, been frank. He has said what's on his mind. And I think we've we've kind of touched on this a little bit in previous podcasts. And that's the thing of not trying to make it sound like it's anything that's the key thing out of it, but He's black. He's the only black driver that NASCAR has right now and stuff. And he's a little bit more outspoken than some people might think he should be. And, you know, he's not a Wendell Scott, uh, somebody that just quietly goes to the track, works on the car and drives. He says it like it is. And, uh, there's some people that have, you know, been to this point of where they're like, I don't want to talk about him anymore. I don't want to hear anything from him anymore. And some people might interpret that as being racist. They don't want to, you know, hear anything out of him. And some people might just, you know, be to the point where they say, let just let him fade off. He's not going to fade off folks. I mean, he's, he's a good driver. I'm, I'm not going to say that he's not a great driver. He has been, you know, he has just matured a little bit more, a little bit more each time and stuff. The only problem I've got with Bubba Wallace right now is Bubba says too much what he shouldn't say. And that's where it kind of gets touchy. If he's a little bit more diplomatic about it at times, but this is a passionate sport, this, this racing thing. And he feels like he's got something to prove in it. Um, I'm just glad he didn't hear it, but of course, you know, they've talked about it and they've probably related to him and everything. And, you know, the first thing I guess in that first headline, before we got to the Jayski uh, story about it was that uh, one of the news articles that had brought it up, the, the, they, they cited this as almost like a second uh, sort of incident involving Bubba Wallace. The first going back to the noose supposedly in Talladega uh, there in the garage area. So that instantly makes me feel like he's a lightning rod out of this. So when something happens that is, doesn't look well on the track. It, you know, comes across Kyle Larson and him last year, they get into a shoving match. You know, he shoves on Kyle Larson. They pretty much, uh, call him, you know, they say about, uh, Bubba Wallace, you know, he was the instigator. He's the bully out of the whole thing. Uh, so, you know, it's unfortunate. This is one of those things of where NASCAR, uh, the, the, the channels are secured. You have to buy a special scanner 
when you go to the track that lets you listen to these things, but the radio transmissions are mostly, they're supposed to be secure. And that's between the, the driver and the crew and the spotter and so forth. But, uh, if they find out who it was that did this or how they got into it or whatever the case may have been, somebody's going to probably, there's going to be some heads. that's going to roll out of this, or somebody's going to be charged because they're just trying to find out who accessed the radio channel, how they did it, because NASCAR considered it to be one of those things that you can't break into, but somebody did. I imagine it could be a felony offense. That could be a, a federal yeah. a federal crime to break into interstate uh, the the communications there uh, certainly. And you know, go back where you came from. There's an obvious racist connotation to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm reminded, you know, I've, my studies of of uh, sports history, particularly uh, the I, I'm one of my favorite athletes of of all time, Jackie Robinson, comes to mind. Jackie Robinson, the guy who broke the color barrier. In, in baseball. Now, of course, Bubba's not breaking the color barrier. There have been black racers before, black, black drivers before, but he's the only black driver now. But Jackie Robinson, we, we all remember that first year he played with the Brooklyn Dodgers and he uh, took the abuse that was coming his way. And that's one reason, you know, famously Branch Rickey decided to, to go with him as opposed to any of a number of other um, great black players from the Negro Leagues. Uh, because he felt like Robinson had the temperament to be able to take the abuse that was mm-hmm. definitely going to come his way. Right. What people don't know about that story, though, is after the first year, Branch Rickey said, "Okay, uh, mm-hmm. you don't have to you don't have to play nice anymore." Um, and and Robinson didn't. He he gave it back in in 1948 and beyond. He gave it back as good as he got it. Mm-hmm. And I can see Bubba Wallace. If I'm Bubba Wallace and I'm getting booed every time I stand out on the track, every time yeah. he does anything out there, he's getting booed by the entire crowd. Right. Um, I might say some things too, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and and you know the idea that the only black driver in NASCAR needs to keep his mouth shut. Uh, nobody tells Kyle Busch to keep his mouth shut. People probably right. wish that he would keep his mouth shut, but right. uh, you know, it's 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 a double standard. And so, if I'm him, I'm probably a little upset too. And he had a great race yesterday, finished yeah. second, ran well. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's an issue NASCAR's got to overcome because whether or not, I mean, certainly this message, um, go back where you came from, that is an obvious racist message. But you know, whether or not the loud boos he hears every time he's anywhere near a crowd. Um, are racist or just we don't like you just like we don't like Kyle Bush. it's going to look to outsiders looking in like wow you guys loudly boo the only black driver every time he does anything that looks racist and NASCAR needs to overcome that perception somehow yeah you're right about that NASCAR needs to overcome it they have made him sort of like and and you know pardon the expression out of it they make him sound as though He's the figurehead. He's the figurehead of minorities that are in the sport. But you see, there we go. We're forgetting somebody else. We're forgetting Daniel Suarez. He comes from Mexico. Okay. So you have, you know, a Hispanic driver, you have a black driver and, you know, nobody really pays any attention to anything. I mean, seriously, nobody really takes anything. Um, I guess at face value that Daniel Suarez, when he goes and gets mad about something and he says it like it is, but he doesn't get booed. He doesn't get booed as bad as what Bubba Wallace does. Um, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say more than anything else, uh, Bubba's driving speaks for itself when he's out on the track, he's an aggressive driver. I'm not saying that he's, he should be one of these 
lax drivers and just stay there in the in the race and just not make any moves for fear of you know uh you know wrecking somebody or anything like that i think there's sometimes that bubba gets a little too emotional and i mean rightly so there are times that i i've said things before and i wish i could take them back and i think bubba gets in that situation sometimes maybe it was his tone maybe it was something that he said and that I think has gone. And when you go and say things that, you know, you can't take back Kyle Bush, obviously we know what happens with Kyle Bush. He gets booed to death sometimes, not as much this year as, as he has in the years past, but, you know, look at Ross Chastain, Ross Chastain, kind of a mixed bag, partly booze, a lot of cheers and so forth with it. Um, but you're, you're jumping the man for the color of his skin. I think more than anything else in this. And I had a discussion years ago with, um, uh, somebody that called sports and, uh, football and basketball games here in this local part of where I'm from in Virginia. And he made the comment. I made the comment then I said, uh, it's not going to be legit unless Wendell Scott makes the hall of fame. And the first thing he said to me, Wendell Scott was not a good driver. I said, by whose authority? You know, are, are we judging him, you know, by these standards today? Or are we judging him by the standards of the 1960s? You know, how are we judging him out of this? And he said, he was never a good driver. I said, he won races. He won. I definitely know of one race that he won that he had to go and pick up his winner's money, uh, on the other side of the track while someone else was getting the trophy and someone else was getting the prize money. And I'm like, it, it wasn't right that he was treated that way, but Wendell Scott, you know, he didn't want to go out and he didn't want to say anything, give any kind of, you know, terrible comments. Of course, the media wasn't as into it as much as they are now. NASCAR was not this big social media driving force that goes and gets quotes from the second you open your mouth. But, um, Bubba needs to kind of, you know, pull back just a tad bit speak a little bit more professional on some things, I think in the way that he makes a comment or he says something, but still speaking his mind, I don't think he has a problem speaking his mind. I don't think he has a problem speaking his mind, let him speak his mind, but you know, do it in a little bit better way because there are sometimes if you watch body language and you watch him after a race, some people might say he almost acts like he's spoiled. He's almost to the point of where he's just up. Oh, I should have had it go my way. Well, yeah, but it may be the way it sounded. Yeah. You're making it, th making everybody think that way, but you know, you did have this race. You, you pretty much had a secure spot in this race and so forth, but you know, you're kind of throwing things out here that you shouldn't be throwing and just leave it to the track. Don't, don't air it out in the media or anything like that. Just do your business on the track. So that's kind of like in a way, the Wendell Scott sort of thing, but it's also an entirely different time and a different age and the way that the media, I think responds to Bubba Wallace. And I, I'll be honest with you. I think sometimes the media, uh, is just as guilty as anybody else. Not, not only the fans of jumping on something that Bubba Wallace says, and then they immediately instigate Bubba Wallace as being the troublemaker or the, the problem, the problem child of NASCAR. Um, I think that label kind of gets stuck unfairly on him sometimes. 
and I wouldn't say it doesn't on Kyle Lar or uh, Kyle Bush. You know, it has several times, you know, they've threw it out there, but I think it's a little bit different in Bubba's case. And I think the skin color has a lot to do with it. Um, as you, you mentioned, um, Wendell Scott, I decided to look up a little bit about him while you were talking there. And mm -hmm. he did win one NASCAR Cup yep. Series race, 147 top tens. Yep. Um, and I'm reading here too that he got his start in the early 50s on the, uh, you know, the more regional circuits, mostly in Virginia, it says here. He's right. from Danville. Mm -hmm. uh, and his first win was actually in Waynesboro, which is my neck of the woods in Virginia. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he won here. He won here in Waynesboro for his first regional win. And um, then, yeah, your story about the uh, his one win, he didn't even get recognized as the winner right away. Um, it was originally Buck Baker was the second place guy uh, that yep. that night, and he was declared the winner. It was discovered hours later that Scott had not only won, but he was two laps in front of the rest of the field. So, right. Uh, but he didn't get the trophy, and this is a interesting little point. He didn't get the his family didn't get the trophy. Let's say right. twenty twenty one. He would he had been dead for thirty one years. Yep. Um, that's uh, that's all part of it there. So yeah, it's it's one of those uncomfortable things, you know. Well, let's let's use that as an opportunity to jump into Rod. We had talked last week as we were signing off about two topics we would get into. One of them, we, you just reminded me of. We had written down the other one because we talked before we we hit record, right? Um, but you talked about the NASCAR, what the the no, seventy five best drivers in NASCAR history. Yeah, and you had talked it. about how uh, perhaps Wendell Scott should be included in that list. But the uh, you know you had some thoughts last week as we after we went off the air, we chatted for a bit. Uh, about some some people who were left off that list uh share some thoughts uh about uh, that nascar 75 um i think it was probably more than anything else just a a big ado considering they were going to north wilkesboro the all-star race trying to recapture some of that old magic that used to be in nascar at one time of not only trying to showcase the regional thing of the sport especially being at north wilkesboro but trying to um i guess open up the world so to speak to the rest of the world what north wilkesboro meant to people and what kind of drivers you had at that time um but again you know i mentioned it wendell scott was left off the list i was a little bit surprised with that i think there were a number of other drivers that were left off of this list too that I feel like should have been considered. I'm trying to think of a couple of them right offhand. Uh, but Wendell Scott's probably the most glaring omission off that 75 list that uh, that I saw. And then you had people that was on there really talking about some of the others, and they said, "Oh, they did this and they did that." And, you know, for what you know, I, and I'm not sure if I can go back and I'd have to go back and check the list. Yeah, I know some of the bigger names and stuff. But one name that I think that might be missing from that list that I don't know if he got consideration out of it or not, and I'll have to look and see just to make sure, is Dick Trickle. Uh, Dick Trickle was probably one of the most prolific drivers in the Midwest. Uh, Kenny Wallace just cannot say enough about Dick Trickle and and what he you know what he could do. Um, I think another one that kind of comes to mind that I'm thinking didn't make the list either was Dave Marcus and Dave Marcus was just as gentlemanly as you could possibly imagine for a race car driver. He kept to himself. He stayed out of, you know, the media spotlight because, you know, Hey, he was, he was running week to week 
on what he won of prize money from the week before. Yeah. You know, that's how he kept going. And that's the way that some of these old short track drivers, and you know who I'm talking about, these ones in the regional things like Waynesboro or different places like that, that's how they made their money. It, it wasn't go home, maybe to go to the local steakhouse after a race and splurge a little bit and have a steak or have a nice meal. But you know, the rest of the time, that money, if you made $3,000 or $5,000, and that's, that was big back then, um, that was money that, um, you went back and reinvested into parts for your car, or you had that frame hammered out, or you had that, uh, uh, that front, uh, that front part of your car hammered out and stuff in order for you to be able to make the race the next week. I mean, it was racing on a shoestring and I, I haven't forgotten anything about Dave Marcus. Dave Marcus didn't even wear traditional fire shoes. When he got in a race car, he, he rode around the track, 500 laps, whatever it was. Um, he'd ride around in old wingtip shoes and that just amazes me. And to this day, that's the reason why that of anything that I have of my dad, since my dad passed away in 2021, I will never get rid of a pair of wingtip shoes because that's what he used to wear. And those are important to me. I think that just tells a lot of what you did with those kind of shoes and Dave Marcus, I mean, that's what he did. And that that's what made him, I think, one of those drivers that should have been strongly considered. So uh, one off the track thing, another off the track thing, I guess we wanted to talk about was uh, what could be a tense summer for NASCAR uh, regarding something we, we talk about here about in other sports, the stick and ball sports, baseball, football, basketball, including hockey, I guess there's a stick in hockey um, in, involving um, the labor situation with a collective bargaining agreement. We don't, I don't know that we think about that so much in NASCAR, you know, you see the reported you know, for example, the million-dollar payday this past weekend, you think that's how they make their money. But, but yeah, the, the drivers, the teams, the crew chiefs, et cetera, the engineers, everybody, they're all getting paid, and, and there are contracts that lay that out. And uh, there could be an interesting uh, bit of next few months uh, as far as the business side of things goes with NASCAR with respect to collective bargaining. Yeah, if you want to call it that collective bargaining, I call it point-blank revenue sharing. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of the best way to say it. Um, NASCAR is going to be renegotiating a lot of, uh, their TV rights and so forth. Uh, there's no question right now at this point that it looks like, uh, Fox and, and NBC, or at least, uh, Peacock Xfinity, however you want to call it, they're going to, uh, get back what they've, uh, what they've invested into it. And they're going to put more money into it. Um, here's where the, here's where the plot thickens a little bit more. Um, the Xfinity races. A lot of people are saying, what in the world are they going to do about the Xfinity races? It's, it's been one of those things of Fox shows half the season. And then you've got NBC that shows the other half of the season. And then it's like, okay, um, why not have somebody that's just totally dedicated to this? And they're not exactly a ratings bonanza when, when they're on, because some people just don't, it's like, it's kind of like if they ever decided to broadcast minor league baseball on TV and they have done so in the past. I think even when major league baseball was on strike, I right. think ESPN did it one year with minor league baseball. Okay. Well, the question is, where are you going to put them? You know, where are you going to get money for this sport that 
obviously is, you know, it's, it's more so a um, kind of a regional sort of thing of, you know, you'll have a sponsor comes in every now and then and they may race on there uh, for, I don't know, three, four races, and they may go to somebody else because they just can't simply afford, you know, the rate of money and the price that it costs to get out there on the track. Um, that's one of the things that's going to be decided. Uh, so here, the, the, the thing now that's coming into play, which I expected it probably a couple of years ago, when is streaming going to start affecting the races? And, uh, I think now it could be, uh, they're talking to TNT possibly getting back into the mix ESPN. Uh, I don't know. It may be a long time before ESPN ever gets back into the, uh, auto racing business, NASCAR, with the exception of, um, uh, Tony Stewart's superstar challenge, which, uh, by the way, I'm trying to get, uh, credentials to go to that race up in, uh, up at the motor mile or the Pulaski County motorplex, however you want to call it. Uh, they're going to be having that in July. Uh, but that's about the only motor racing besides maybe some formula one stuff here and there, they may have some select races on, but that's it. And they're not interested in carrying motorsports hardly. And it hurts uh, ESPN because when they're doing the, uh, the news, uh, they're sometimes they don't get um, highlights because of the certain agreements. And, you know, it's sort of like the, the, the bed you've made and you've got to sleep in it. So forth. It's the way ESPN, I guess, supposedly treated ABC treated the races at that one point that they had them for a short period of time. So you've got that. You've got how much money these teams are going to be able to make um, from the races themselves. The track, what are they going to, what's the track going to be getting out of it? They've kind of gotten to the point where it's almost reminds you of Congress, the way that they were fighting right now over this, uh, you know, this budget cap or whatever, this, uh, you know, debt ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. The debt ceiling thing. That's sort of what it reminds me of. It's like they're talking, but they're not talking but they know they've got to get down to business here and come up with some kind of solution. And NASCAR is still viewed in one sense as the bad guy out of it, because look at all this money they're making, look at all this money that they're making of getting the endorsements and so forth. In some of the drivers and some of the race teams, the car owners are saying, why can't we get some of that? You know, why can't we get a little bit of this revenue? And it's sort of the mismatch, like the, the market thing in baseball, Who's the most dominant baseball team in any kind of market right now in the United States for baseball? It's the New York Yankees. Okay. That was at least the last time I remember. Yankees and the LA Dodgers, the two and the biggest Dodgers. markets in the country. Yeah, yeah. Two biggest markets. Some people would say, well, what about the Cubs and what about the White Sox? No, they're not even close. Not even close to those two. And probably the market that is suffering the worst out of it, revenue sharing, and it definitely shows in their record, and it definitely shows in everything else about the team, are the Cincinnati Reds. You know, that's one of them I can mention right offhand. The Reds, so, the Kansas City Royals, the small, smaller market teams, yeah. Smaller market teams. So how does this affect the smaller race teams that's out there in the field to where it brings everybody up? The car was supposed to level that out well it did so to speak last year we had people you know that was racing that won races that we never expected to win you know they they were able to equal it out so to speak but give it another year we've moved into this year and now we're starting to see the gap again 
and they're just trying to prevent that gap from happening once again and be equal for all the teams across the board. Of course, you know, the first thing they're going to mention, Hendrick. Hendrick is the dominant one out of it. Well, could be, but, uh, you know, it doesn't seem good statements. Let's say it this way, Chris. It doesn't seem good statements when you're NASCAR, you're endorsing Hendrick Motorsports and the uh, the car they're going to take to Le Mans, which is a Camaro, and they're going to race. And Jeff Gordon, I think, is going to race in that car as well as somebody else in the uh, in the racing world. Uh, yeah, that's that's where the the head starts scratching and starts saying. Wow, I wonder who's in bed with who in this one and stuff, and wonder how much they're getting paid. So that makes you makes you really wonder what's going on in the sport. One other thing that I saw that's related to all this discussion is is something that would seem like it should it should be in place already, but it's not. It's just the charters that the teams get yep. to be able to to race. Um, they're two year renewable charters, and a, a columnist that I found uh, writing about this equated it to. What if those New York Yankees and L.A. Dodgers had to reapply every two years to still be in Major League Baseball? But if you're Team uh, 23 or Hendrick or whoever you might be, you have to go formally through the process to apply and get reproved. Um, Denny Hamlin said, boy, I hope we don't lose our, our charter. We've, we've already sunk $20 million into developing this team. I mean, it's not like mm -hmm. he would lose the charter. But it just seems like that's the kind of thing that could be what what the teams want is that process to be basically once you're approved, you're automatic, you're in. You, you have to want to get out. Um, and I can kind of see that point. The amount of money it takes to, to start up a team and then keep a team going, um, that, that there are tens of millions of dollars invested in this yep. just to get there. Uh, and you want to make sure you can get, uh, get a guaranteed return on your investment. I agree with that. I mean, I, I agree. You spend a lot of money to get there to the sport. You are going to have to spend a lot of money to stay in the sport. That's the, that's just the way it goes. And, you know, putting yourself on the line every two years, and then you, here you are 2311 motorsports. Well, they have two of probably the most famous numbers in the sport. They, they of course got the 45 number from, uh, back when uh, Petty Enterprises had that one and Kyle uh, Petty was racing uh, with the 45 car, but you've got the 23 car, you know, here it is. That's Michael Jordan's number. That's what people associate, you know, there with it. And I'm, I'm like, you know, that's marketing money. That's money that, you know, goes out on t-shirts. That's money that goes out on different things and commercials. You can't be going and changing charters every year. And then plus at the same time, uh, giving up your number or however it is, you know, and giving that up and then losing that, having to go and let's do it all over again in two years. I kind of agree with this lifetime sort of thing. Uh, it, I call it a lifetime sort of thing. Um, you know, but you know, we've had some rude wake up calls about it. Um, Morgan McClure racing. Uh, they were, uh, they did not want Tony Stewart to take the number four number. They felt like they, that was their number. That's what they had invested in and stuff. And that had been their trademark for a long time. But, you know, NASCAR told them, said, it's just a number. That's all it is. It's just a number. You can't go and you can't say it's yours for the rest of your life. I think we're starting to see something that, uh, big bill France senior, started talking about it one time when some of the drivers got together and they started talking about, we'd like to have a union and big bill France said, if you all start talking about a union, then I'm going to effectively shut it down. 
and I'll shut it down because we don't need a union in this. And I'm not here to say either a for or against out of this whole thing, but there's going to have to be some interested parties along the line. They're going to have to budge. They're going to have to give, they're going to have to take NASCAR is going to have to be one of them. And NASCAR, of course, is looking out for the future the same way these race car teams are. Uh, they're looking out for the future, and uh, they're looking out for what they have to do to survive. Uh, NASCAR, I, I wouldn't say that. I think they've come a long way since uh, Brian France's uh, debacle and uh, leaving. The, you know, the family doesn't have as much to do with it as they used to anymore. Um, I think it's it's give or take time is what it's going to be, especially with this revenue sharing collective bargaining agreement that NASCAR is going to have to have with the, uh, the drivers, the teams and so forth. I'll come down slightly on the side of the union. Uh, uh, everything changed uh, with baseball, uh, baseball in the late sixties, it started a move towards a union. Finally in the early to mid seventies, uh, was able to get the, the a group together and, 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 uh, that changed professional sports in general. And it's, it, it amazes me that NASCAR does not yet to this point, have that and could because one of the things that uh I, I've I've saw uh Denny Hamlin talking about as a team owner, he's a driver, but he's also a team owner, um, was that what NASCAR is doing right now to try to quash this move by the teams to get their charters um in perpetuity is instead of talking to um this the uh the 16 teams that controls 36 charters as a group, they're talking mm -hmm. to them individually. Um that's what baseball owners used to do to baseball players back before the uh, the union in the early 1970s. Right. And what they were, I mean, they, what they would do is they would tell Ted Williams, well, Ted, Ted Williams would say, I want to make more than $100,000 this year. Well, gosh, Joe DiMaggio only makes $100,000. Why do you want more than Joe DiMaggio? And it would turn out that the guys they were comparing each other to made a lot more money than, than that. And, and right. uh, divide and conquer basically on the part of owners. Yep. And so, um, you know, and as far I, I I don't know this, I think I should write a column on this, maybe for Augusta Free Press sometime this week. You know, generally speaking, the NFL, uh, NBA, Major League Baseball, uh, the percentages of, of overall sport revenues that go to the players, let's say, mm -hmm. is somewhere in the low to mid to upper 50s. It's anywhere between 53 and 57 percent per league. Wow. Um I know this number from I did a column not too long ago on UFC, another league that does not another sport that does not have uh, a union. UFC uh, only pays out about 17 percent of its revenues to the actual guys in the octagon fighting each other, knocking each other senseless. 17 percent of the money goes to those guys. 83 percent stays with the company. I'd love to know what NASCAR's ratio is there. I hope it's closer to the 50s. But um, in any case, it probably isn't because there's no union. Uh, I think anyone out there watching would, argue, would would not even want to argue that the drivers and the teams should get more of the money than NASCAR itself. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think that maybe not the driver as much. Okay. The drivers got endorsements. The driver is sort of like the, the basketball coach or the football coach that goes in, uh, in a college and say that they're paying him $3 million or $5 million for a contract. But on top of that, after radio shows, TV shows, things like that, uh, endorsements and different things like that, you could make upwards of a million to two million more dollars as to what you normally make from yeah. your contract. Let me inter interject there, though. Okay, I, I don't know the contract situation, but I would wonder mm -hmm. if the teams don't control some of that money. Like, hey, you're making the right. money because you're Bubba Wallace who drives for Team 2311. So 
I know in WWE, for example, like another another business that doesn't have a union and gets a lot of its money, eighty five percent of its revenues go to the ownership. Um, they they have a deal in place. So if if you're out there doing anything on your own endorsement wise, they get a big cut of it. So yeah. um, I don't know if we want to assume that the guys get their own. That Denny Hamlin, for example, gets all of his endorsement money. Um, I know your point. Your point is well taken. But I don't, and I don't look at say let's using Denny Hamlin as an example. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he's the coach. I think he's the star of the team. And then yeah. like your crew, your crew chief is uh, Scott. So if if Denny Hamlin is Michael Jordan, okay, mm-hmm. um, uh, the crew chief might be Scottie Pippen. Uh, you know, some guys on the crew are Dennis Rodman and the other guys, Steve Kerr and the other guys, um, and. Uh, they all, you know, they did. They, they, you know, basketball players, football players, baseball players on a team get paid different amounts of money based on their role on the team. The star, the star driver should get paid more than the the guys changing the tires. But the guys changing the tires are also very important, so they should get paid well too. Yeah, uh, well, I agree, and that's the, uh, that's what I was getting ready to allude to when you were talking about that. I think that not only do the drivers need to get you know their portion of the money, but I think if it wasn't for that race team you know, they wouldn't be in the position some of them are in right now at this point, that crew chief and, and people like that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we know it money talks about things. And, you know, if you've got a little bit of an incentive to kind of do something and you've got the, uh, the ability to be able to pull something like that off, then by all means it's go for it. You know, that's what it is. But, you know, I think sometimes we, we tend to think that the driver gets everything. We tend to think sometimes that the owner maybe gets a little bit out of it, but we also have to assume NASCAR gets a good chunk of it. Now, if it's equally distributed out, well, that's going to be hard to say too equally. I don't know if that could ever be done. Um, it's just, it's my dad was a union man, a union man for almost 50 years. And there were times he would talk about things in contracts, especially being a coal miner that I just, I looked at at times. I'm like, you've got to be joking me. He said, you know, I get paid double time or something for my birthday. Well, that's, that's nice and stuff. He says, you know, some places they pay you time and a half. And I'm like, well, uh, such and such holiday, we get paid double time. I'm like, why everybody else has to work on that, on that occasion and stuff. What's so big, big about that. He said, I don't have any idea. I have no idea. They just, something they decided to throw into the contract to make it, you know, a little bit more intriguing to the men to where you can bring them in and they're going to get a little bit more out of it. And so and your dad lived into his nineties, having worked in a coal mine, not yeah. everybody who worked in coal mines right. lived into their nineties. <laughs> That's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's just a part of the business and so forth, but I can just remember he and I having talks about that. And then the big thing he talked about was, you know, when they changed everything on the pension plans and, you know, pension plans, we tend to overlook this thing in NASCAR. Uh, what kind of pension plan? Is there a pension plan for some of these drivers and so yeah. forth? What happens if they get hurt? Right. You know, are they going to end up being like Steve park and you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to be out there, but you're still going to be struggling. You know, how do you make ends meet when you are, you know, uno- when you are officially unofficially uh, disabled? in such a way you can't make any money. Uh, it's like my dad said that when they went from this thing of tonnage, or I should say, uh, from man hours, they should, they should have went from tonnage. I think was what it was in coal going to man hours. 
And dad said, when they went to man hours, that that's when they went and automated everything in the, in the mine at that point, thus cutting a bunch of men out of it. Therefore they didn't have to pay as much into the pension, but he said, if they left it with the tonnage, he said, some of these men would have never had to have wanted ever again in their lifetime. They would have never had the need to, but it depends on who the individual is, how they're, you know, how they're going to spend it, how they're going to go and what they're going to do with it. It also depends a lot to do with it. I think the unionization part of this is just a lot of that is about the things that aren't necessarily, there are a lot of details that are about the current drivers, current teams, Mm -hmm. but yeah, there's a lot NFL, for example, taking care of, then doesn't do a great job of taking care of its former NFL players and their health needs after their careers are over. I'll go back to WWE. When I researched uh, the wrestling company there, um, you know, the, the health, there's no health plans for pro wrestlers. I mean, these are, right. these are guys and gals uh, who are out five or six nights a week, throwing each other around a very hard wrestling ring, getting hurt all the time. Their career is very short. And, and for the most, most part, uh, and when they're done, their medical bills are on them. Um, I, I wondered about Lex Luger at one time, you know, yeah. Lex Luger took that injury and stuff. And yeah. I, I saw a picture, I think as far as I know, I, I'm sure he gets something, you know, from somewhere, but I know it's probably not with the wrestling thing. It's not from wrestling. No, he's a guy who for, for non-wrestling fans, if for wrestling fans out there listening, you know, who likes remember yeah. in, he was a big guy. They call him the total package. My God, he was muscle on muscle, yep. uh, good blonde hair, good looking guy. Um, he's paralyzed. He's, yeah. you know, he was a 280 pound guy in his heyday. He's if he's 120 pounds now, I'd be surprised. Yeah. He looks, I mean, you still see what's left of him from his neck yeah. and his head up. You still yeah. see that part he of him. He still looks exactly the same yeah. head up. Yeah. But and head, then from, but from head neck down, down. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's like, he's like sticks. It makes That's you want to cry you. if you yeah. remember what he looked like 30 years ago. Yeah. And I think what's so sad is he has been relegated to showing up at these yes comic-con type you yes. know uh appearances and stuff and you get an autograph i you know i have no idea of what he can do but i picture that if he's paralyzed and has some problem being able to move his limbs and everything i imagine what's his what's his autograph going to look like you know it's what's a, lot it of, look a like? lot of people taking selfie pictures with him yeah mm-hmm. and it's it, it's not just him I've, I've actually been to quite a few of those events um over, not not with just him, but with lots of the guys over the years, you know, wrestlers in their 50s and 60s who actually those who can still actually get in a ring and wrestle have to get out in a ring and wrestle, yeah. um, and you know, way beyond their primes because that's that's the way to make money. They didn't they didn't make the money th- 20 30 years ago. They got to go out there and make a living now. Uh, and and you know, there's no because there was no pension plan in place, right. Um, we got to take care of these people better and NASCAR could do a better job, obviously. And so can all the sports, but you know, these are among the issues. I mean, taking care of the people who are in the business now who are making the money now, and then taking care of these people now, 20 years from now, when they're out there after their careers are over, so they don't have to go schlepping around. Well, two that jump out at me are Ernie Irvin and Bobby Allison, Mm -hmm. Uh, Bobby Allison, devastating, devastating wreck that, you know, just cut short his career and you know he was still he still had a lot of good racing in him and stuff and you know when he hit that catch fence and took that catch fence out um you know people predicted he'd never make it back 
and I had a chance to meet Bobby Allison one time and I had seen Bobby Allison probably, oh gosh, I, I saw him. It was actually after the accident had taken place and he was a car owner, but his short-term memory, his memory is tough. I mean, he took a, he took a head, uh, a head hit. And then one of the things he, I walked up to him and he looked at me and he said, you look familiar. And I said, well, it's probably been a long time. I said, well, I saw you at Bristol the last time and you Chuck bound was your driver and so forth. And you were celebrating him making the, getting the pole that day. And he says, yeah, he said, but you know, I, I don't remember a lot of that stuff. And I said, I understand that's fine. And stuff. I'm like, how does he make it? Well, he makes it from appearances, having to show up at different places. Ernie Irvin has managed to at least kind of recoup a little bit and stuff. He's had a little bit kind of, uh, better success. He's got a son that's racing. Now he specialized in uh, racing horses at one time and horses. So he's done a little bit, a uh, little bit better in some ways, maybe than Bobby Allison or somebody, but still, uh, something needs to be done. It's the same way. Like it is with baseball, football, you know, uh, the football issue, especially about the head injury. What about Kurt Busch? What yeah, if Kurt Busch is not able yeah. to come back and yeah. what's it going to, what's it going to be? Is somebody going to go in 2311 motorsports? Are they going to pay him to be in an advisory position to somebody that's, you know, spam in the can that's been messed up because they got hit, you know, or how good are they and stuff? I think that I think Kurt Busch does a fantastic job, but he's doing color commentary when he's on uh, TV, especially when he's been on Fox. But, you know, how do you take care of these guys instead of doing uh, one-on sort of appearances and stuff and showing up and being on TV? Do they pay them anything for being on TV just for a, a little while? I don't know. You know, that's that opens up a lot of boxes and opens them up and exposes it like, are they really getting what they're worth? Or are they getting what they need to be able to survive? Yeah, there's a lot. So there's a lot there. Boy, that, this has been a good discussion. Uh, wow. Uh, we, we've, we have milked a very boring race with no crashes. <laughs> no, but one lead change into uh, probably our longest podcast we've done. So this has been a very thrilling, exciting, detailed podcast, Rod. Anything else on your mind as we get ready to wrap up? Only thing I was going to say, since you said milking this and stuff, <laughs> you know, what was a bad race? I'd say NASCAR probably wishes they had hold of that cow right now that can produce <laughs> that much milk, you know, because they obviously are making milk, but they're not making enough quality milk. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. So, and I, we got a lot out of this when you're right. I, I didn't know we were going to go this far and go in this kind of direction, but it's kind of like a sit down talk. It's kind of like what we've kidded around about before and said, I should have left the record button on. We yeah, had more yeah. discussion here since we got off here. And so, and I've, I've enjoyed it because it's, it's been one of those things of just looking at the big picture and still trying to figure it out. And it's, it's bigger than me. It's something that I'm not going to be able to solve. It's just suggestions you have to throw in there. Yeah, that's right. Well, we were smart for once. And we, we finally left the record button on for the best part of the show, which yeah. is usually left to after we hit uh, the end of the show. So now that's been, it's been great uh, for our listeners out there go to AugustaFreePress.com uh, for more NASCAR coverage, of course. And we didn't even talk about next weekend's race, but it's the, it's the, it's Memorial Day weekend. So Coca-Cola 600. Coca -Cola 600 yeah. We're 50 minutes into a podcast. Hey, they, yeah. Next week, you don't forget the Coca-Cola 600. Um, and we'll have Rod back on, of course, next week. And we'll talk about that. 
uh, and get you ready for uh, the, the beginning of June racing in NASCAR season. Uh, so uh, check us out. Uh, for Rod Mullins, I am Chris Graham signing off. Everyone have a great week.